What will eventually prove to be the most important contribution I've made to science will be the realization that H2O is a solvent of its own polarity. Let me clarify that. First of all, it's not completely explicit. H2O molecule does not completely dissolve the polarity of its adjacent H2O molecule. They don't dissolve on a one-to-one -one basis. Each one can make up to four hydrogen bonds, one each with up to four of its neighbors. Now, when we say that phrase, when we say H2O is a solvent of its own polarity, what we really mean is that making hydrogen bonds with itself, which it does naturally and comprehensively, each one of those bonds, and there can be up to four, again, with one each with four of their neighbors, will literally dissolve, make it disappear, that being the polar force associated with their ability to produce a polar force, their literal polarity. Some of that is dissolved. Some of that polarity is literally dissolved. A more specific and explicit way to describe that is that H2O is a solvent of 25% of each of up to four of its neighbors that it generally has at ambient temperatures. Now, this puts our understanding of H2O, just that phrase that I just stated, changes everything, changes everything, because it, it basically tells us that the reason H2O molecules, which are very close to each other in the liquid phase, are so loose with each other, no viscosity, you know, that's one of the amazing things about H2O, is it just completely, completely fluid. It kind of shows us the the problem is that it's somewhat mental on the part of humans. We call this a polar molecule, and yet its most basic observation, low viscosity, there's, there's just no way you could look at liquid water, see how easy it flows, and think that there's much of anything going on in there electromagnetically. And sure enough, if you were to look, you would find out that, yeah, that's exactly the truth, too. There's really very little electromagnetic exchange there is some bumping going on, especially in flowing water. And so there's a lot of kinetic energy in there, but there's really not much of, in fact, there's an absence of the kind of charges we expect from molecules that have something polar about them. In other words, recognizing, yes, H2O is a polar molecule, but in the liquid phase, it turns itself off. We now understand why a polar molecule can have such low viscosity. And so the point I'm trying to make here, though, is a little bit deeper than that is that no one ever looked at it that way before. The notion that H2O had such low viscosity never seemed like a problem to anyone because, because it was such a blatant disconnect with what we actually experienced. It's like we just lost our mind a little bit. We turned our minds off. We just accepted it, even though it was plainly nonsensical. It's plainly obvious that in liquid water, there's very little electromagnetic activity going on between them because it flows so easily. Now we have a mathematical way to describe H2O molecules are 25% solvents of each other's polarity, and they can each make up to four bonds with up to four of their neighbors. That means it can potentially get all the way down to zero which is essentially what's happening in liquid water. Liquid water has no polarity. They are so connected to each other that there's literally no remaining polarity whatsoever. This different understanding 
H2O being the mechanism of its own polarity, turning off and by way of breaking of hydrogen bonds, turning on, activating polarity, that mechanism is what gives H2O its personality, is what gives it the capabilities that don't seem obvious. Amongst them, of course, since I'm doing this for tornadoes and stuff, is the ability of H2O molecules to form into polymers, and the polymers have the ability to conserve energy and spin up on wind shear boundaries and create this form of H2O that is the structural basis of the atmospheric plumbing. So this form of H2O, what I call surface tension on steroids, that can only happen because of the very unique situational factors where you have micro droplets that can spin very rapidly on wind shear boundaries and produce this kind of a, a plasma. But once this stuff gets going, it will continue to continue its own existence by way of the fact that a big part of its existence depends on flow. And what it does is focus that. My paradigm is incommensurate with the current paradigm. And the reason it's incommensurate is because my paradigm recognizes a huge error that the current paradigm is making with respect to their inability to recognize that H2O is a solvent of its own polarity. And only through that can you make sense of the evidence. Otherwise, you have to pretend, which is what most people in academia do. So that's the challenge. Show us how the anomalies can be resolved. Let's start with the low viscosity of water. In fact, let's just make it simple and just focus on that, at least at first anyways. Can it explain the low viscosity of water? My model obviously can, does explain it. And the current model obviously fails. Now, this is your opportunity to show us how your paradigm explains the low viscosity of a substance that you claim is got permanent polarity. Of course, we explain it. In our model, there is no permanent polarity. It's your model that has a permanent, the fixed, fixed polarity. And go ahead, explain it. Explain how liquid H2O, which is supposedly just a polar molecule, could ever have the low viscosity it has if its polarity was fixed and not variable as indicated on my model. Of course, no one ever will. And that's my point. That's my point. My model is incommensurate with the main model because it actually answers questions. It actually works, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um, that's the reason my model is incommensurate with your model. It's not because your model is in any way equivalent to my model. No, your model has always been nonsense. We've known all along that there's a huge number of anomalies, including obvious stuff like the low viscosity of liquid water. It's right there in front of us. We've known all along. What happened is everyone got confused and everyone just pretended like they understood and that's what's still going on. Everyone is confused and pretending. That is the current paradigm. Confused, pretending, half-hearted, half-assed, half-explanations. So if you're a scientist, not understanding it, it's going to leave you hogtied, just well, because you won't know the capabilities. How could I have known that H2O was capable of forming into a plasma to produce these atmospheric vortices if I didn't understand the underlying, if, if I didn't understand that there was this 
underlying hidden capability of surface tension that, that hadn't been explored yet that could be understood through the polymer phase. You know, how, how would I even know that the polymer phase was possible? Well, I couldn't have if I went by the current paradigm because the per current paradigm just is just confused, pretending to understand everyone's confused. Everyone's pretending. That's all it is. It all comes back around to the fact that if you don't first understand that H2O is the solvent of its own polarity, you're just going to be confused. You're never going to not be confused. And that's why most people are confused when it comes to any discussion at all about water. And of course, that's also why I'm so far advanced, because I've, I've figured that out and I've applied it. And so I've been able to get answers to questions. I've been able to solve problems specifically uh, with respect to cause and effect in the physics of storms. I've been able to solve these problems that have just completely confused everyone else. The confusion of water is so overwhelming and it so completely infects meteorology that there's no way in the world anybody could make any progress. The whole thing was conversational and not empirical. It was based on some degree of superstition. And the superstition, if you want to look into it, it's convection, dry layer capping, and it's latent heat of condensation. And there's other, some other terms that spin off of that, and they're kind of related. I won't get into it now. But these were mostly superstition, but kind of based on conversation over the years, based on folklore. That's really the best way to put it, folklore. But it's, you know, it's very scientific-sounding folklore, okay? And that's really what my only competition has been. And of course, they've been hogtied by the fact that until you figure out water, you're just never gonna, there's just no way in the world you would figure out the plasma of vortices. There's just no way you could do it. There's no way you would realize that it has to be moist, dry, wind shear. You know, there's no way you could you can make use of that observation, which is the case. Wind shear that does produce tornadoes is always moist, dry, wind shear. It's not just wind shear. Moist dry wind shear is one layer is dry and the other one's moist. That's what produces tornadic vortices. Only when that's the case is there one layer that will cause the spinning and the other layer that will conserve the spinning. You can't have two layers spinning. They just cancel out each other. And of course, I'm talking about spinning of H2O micro droplets that turn into polymers on wind shear boundaries over hundreds or thousands of miles. So you can't get there. You can't get there. If there's any confusion at all on whether or not H2O is a solvent of zone polarity, you cannot arrive at vortices. You can't get there from here. If you start from modern meteorology, which is always talking about up and down motion, convection, and not really understanding, not really understanding anything from cause and effect from an energy perspective, all you can get from that is confusion. There's nothing to build on. There's no basis for expanding into making discoveries. Now, much of my thinking depended greatly on making discoveries, but it's because I had those fundamentals right. I knew I had an element in my model, the plasma, that they didn't have. So I knew it could fill in the observations and make sense of things that otherwise didn't make sense. It was from that that I was able to discover that the uh, tributary system of atmospheric vortices collectively acts like a um, hydraulic entity. And that through that, it's able to send energy over long distance at very high speeds through the use of hydraulics. 
I now realize that's the case and that that means that that substance that does spin up on these wind shear boundaries is crucial to maintaining a seal. For it to work, it needs to maintain a seal just like a hydraulic system. And that also means it's going to be a lot more vulnerable than we were assuming. In other words, it may not be that hard to put a hole in this bubble. And once you do put a hole in the bubble, it may pop the bubble. Now, of course, there's some degree of speculation as to whether or not that means much of anything, and we don't know. But that notion, that notion that there's something hydraulic going on with respect to how vortices act collectively, and that by severing some of that, you essentially stop the delivery of the low-pressure energy of storms. Because that's essentially what we're saying. The plumbing in the atmosphere uses hydraulic principles and therefore is vulnerable because of that. So this is James McGinn, Solving Tornadoes. Thank you. Bye. The correct characterization of H2O is that of being a polar molecule that collectively neutralizes each other's polarity by way of hydrogen bonds, which they aggressively attempt, at these temperatures anyways, they aggressively attempt and often complete to produce electromagnetic neutrality due to the fact that H2O is a solvent of its own polarity. And it does it at 25% increments, and they all do four bonds, at least to the degree that they're perfectly surrounded, you know, uh, or at least that's, that's how they can work. You know, in the liquid phase, that's how they do work. What that means, though, is that in the liquid phase, when they're, when they're actually densest, by the way, the liquid phase is when they're densest, but when they are in this highly dense phase, that's where you realize that consistently low viscosity can only be explained that any attempt to make hard bonds with each other is defeated. And then when you understand that H2O is a solvent of its own polarity, you realize, okay, obviously, right? So the point is that people have a mental block and they can't, for some reason, comprehend that little distinction. Think about that. They can't, we are just, we are just given, we are just told, believe this about water. And one of the things they tell us to believe it's polar. And then almost the next words that come out of their mouth is, They'll tell you how highly fluid it is at our temperatures. Now, you don't, it's not obvious, or maybe it's not obvious to you as it is to me, that what I just stated there is directly contradictory. So I want you to think about that. Think about what I just stated and ask yourself, does that sound directly contradictory to you? And if it doesn't sound directly contradictory to you, that's because you're confused about something. Okay? That's really what's going on here. You're confused about something because those are directly contradictory observations or assertions. And uh, was it again? Um, they are, oh, I forgot it. Listen to this and start again. Okay, for something to be highly polar, low viscosity, and to also comply with Coulomb's law, Coulomb's law is a law. Why that's important? I'm not gonna try to explain it to you here. I'll do some research on it, Coulomb's Law, and, if, and, and look up anything else that's related to that. So let's make it those three things. I'll just state it real briefly again. How can something be polar? How can it have zero viscosity or very close to zero viscosity throughout its whole temperature range in the liquid phase? 
which is what is true for H2O, and in compliance with Coulomb's law, okay? Nobody will ever make sense of that. They're intrinsically contradictory. Those are the three things. Something can't have polarity and therefore be the cause of tensional forces between it and one of its cohorts and have zero viscosity unless, and so that's something to understand about H2O is that because of the fact that it is the solvent of its own polarity, we can explain these things. We can explain this kind of elasticity that the H2O molecule has because here's something to understand about liquid H2O. There's movement going on in there constantly, and that's because bonds are constantly being broken and being restored. Being broken, being restored. Being broken, being restored. And the ironic thing about it is with these strange kind of bonds, these highly variable bonds, which is what hydrogen bonds actually are, the magnitude of the strength of the tensional forces is not when they're up against each other, but actually with some degree of distance. And that's true for each one of the four bonds. And that's what you could literally describe as a kind of elasticity. And because of that, there's this behavioral flexibility associated with water. And, and until you really understand that behavioral flexibility, it's it's really hard to imagine how you'd ever arrive at some of the things that, let's say, like I've arrived at with respect to the vortice of plasma, the, the plasma of atmospheric vortices. It's very hard to because you can't quite wrap your mind around a molecule acting in the way it would need to act if it actually just conformed with regular bonds. Actually, you know, hydrogen bonds are, like I said, they're highly elastic. And it's because of that fact they work on basis of inverse proximity. In other words, the more they are connected to each other, the more they completely neutralize each other's ability to cause uh, tensional forces. So they're literally solvents of their own polarity. H2O molecules are literally solvents of their own polarity. And that's why Within water, the bonds are turning off and turning on all the time, but it's because they themselves are the mechanism. Their breaking is what turns it back on and their reforming is what turns it back off again. And of course, there's some variation with respect to whether they're completely surrounded. Tensional forces do show up on the surface, for example, where there's less. of their abilities completely surround each other. You're surrounded by something that's gonna neutralize your polarity. So that's the hard part. If you can't get that, then you'll never understand water. And if you can't understand water, you'll never understand meteorology. It's just that simple. I'll tell you this though, that hurdle of realizing that H2O is a polar molecule that is also a solvent of its own polarity at 25% um, per bond, and they can each make up to four bonds. That realization, and that also being the basis for understanding observations such as ice or such as steam, high heat capacity. And now we can explain all these things, whereas before there wasn't really a, a causal way to grasp it. And that's because we didn't understand that mechanism. Once you tell people that something is this way, and then you tell them something that completely contradicts it, which is what happens, 
that's literally what happens. They tell you this is a certain way. And then, like, like I said, sometimes literally in the next sentence, then they tell you, oh, this is a certain way. There's nothing you can do intellectually. Your mind is already scrambled. You're already going in circles. But of course, you don't know that because you can't really distinguish that from all the other things in the world you're confused about. And that's what happens in high school for most kids and maybe in college or whatever. They're going to be in any number of different fields related to science, you know, chemistry, biology, physics. Keep that in mind. There's this scramble, everybody, when it comes to water. Look, see that thing that is like that? Well, look, it's not like that. And then from that point on, almost anything they say you're going to believe because you're just, you just want to grasping it. So, and that's how most people have come to understand water in the context of their scientific discipline. Although there may be some really great attributes to that way of thinking about it, I'm saying maybe we should think about it the way it actually is. If we want to make progress in certain fields, in my case, obviously, I'm speaking of tornado genesis or severe weather mitigation, stopping tornadoes and steering hurricanes, 